Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? All right, welcome on back to another edition of the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. It is Tuesday night, January 24th, 2023, I should say. 2023. Nailed it. We're like three weeks in, and I'm already having that issue. Uh, my name is Jake Luke, and I'm joined on my screen by Spencer Nathaniel Schultz. How are we doing? Doing quite well. Trying to uh, delete as much Anthony Richardson clips off of my Twitter as possible. Got our friend, friend of the show, Ted Nguyen, saying not to post Florida all 22 because they will suspend you. Apparently, Ted uh, knows several people who have been suspended already and was suspended himself for posting Kadarius Tony. And apparently other people were suspended for posting Kyle Pitts. I don't know why. I don't know why Catapult is such a bunch of ding-dong, bing-bong bats. Who are, who are those guys? Like, what is this? I've seen, like, tangentially that name. Like, what's what are they doing? What's the deal there? They are the proprietors of All-22 in many ways. So, for some reason, they like to restrict access they don't like people having access to college all 22. So if they decide that they don't want you to have it or that you are posting it, even if you're supposed to have it uh, for whatever reason, even though you're really trying to do their guys a service and help hype those guys up or break them down or provide some sort of narrative or give any sort of exposure to Florida football or anything, then they will uh, come after you. So they can hold my whole ball sack and yeah so i took all my videos i've been watching anthony richardson the last couple of days bucky brooks and daniel jeremiah both mocked anthony richardson to florida so i've to the spent the last 24 hours off and on whenever i've had a free moment going through probably four games of his at this point so had a nice thread going there that i was going to use some clips for an article but guess i will just post those on youtube and embed them in my article instead i already have a little video chopped up so they can uh Again, hold my whole ball sack. What's the uh, what's the, the the first takeaway here? How about we get some some early draft talk in? AR, I like him. He was he's a first year starter. Um, I think he started one game prior to that, 
and comes out really hot against Utah. I think he got some really early initial Heisman hype. You see some scintillating stuff in that game. That was the game where he had that big pump fake in the red zone on a boot where he jumps in the air on a pump, does a 360, comes down, and then rips the ball into the back of the end zone. Um, I like him a lot. I think that there's a lot of similarities to some other guys that have come out recently, and some of the things that I found that I thought I hadn't really seen much narrative around, he throws the ball away a ton. He threw the ball away at the highest rate of any FBS passer with at least 300 dropbacks. And he does a great job when his first option isn't there. He's a super athletic, strong, like sometimes you almost feel like he's like, like Ben Roethlisberger that runs a four, four, like he will melt a Georgia defender with a stiff arm while he's rolling out. They will, he'll just spring them off of him and throw the ball away a lot. And I think that's one of my favorite things I've probably on this podcast mentioned several times that, one of the reasons, one of the main reasons I think Tom Brady is so good is because he will, from the pocket, throw the ball away over receivers' heads. So I saw Richardson do that, ground the ball a couple times. And to me, I'm, I'm always down to live to die another down. Um, he kind of reminds you of Justin Fields in the sense where he wasn't asked to be a really fast processor much. But you see some of it. You see him reading leverage here and there. Um, likes to, if, if a guy's open underneath, he is very cool with just flipping the ball underneath. Uh, sometimes, too, I would say... A little bit of a disadvantage, but again, he's a first-year kid. He had a lower turnover-worthy play rate than Will Levis and I think was right around C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young. So the narratives around him are extreme, and I don't think he's that extreme of a prospect. I think he has an absolute rocket of an arm. Um, he has, a, I would say, an Aaron Rodgers-like release where he can just kind of just has this tight little underneath elbow and just flips the ball, and that thing sails. Um, the more I watch him, the more I'm like, wow, he really is that great of an athlete at first. I was like, yeah, yeah. Okay. He's, he's, he's a strong kid. He's fast. But then the more you watch, he just continues to surprise you. Like he cut back against Georgia's entire defense and was able to lay a bunch of guys to waste. So to me, the biggest things that stand out negatively are that he did the clap cadence, the old hut, hut. And, uh, so that's something that needs to be worked on. Obviously that's a very basic thing that can be worked on. They still His, they do that in the NFL. I think like Derek Carr did that for a while. Um, yeah, you'll see it here and there. Philip Rivers, you got to be able to call the call the piggies home a little bit. Um, I think, and and it helps offensive rhythm more so, so guys can get off the ball when they they know your cadence. It helps the defense can adjust to it throughout the course of a game. But you got a good cadence going, it helps the offense fire off the ball. But that's kind of a elementary thing. Other than that, I mean, just like a lot of other athletic quarterbacks, he has a tendency to let his feet get a little bit sloppy because he thinks I'm I he has the strongest arm of really any I mean Justin Fields has a hose you know Lamar can whip his arm but of guys that are athletic I mean he he is like a Dante Culpepper kind of rifle um, he has a huge 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 arm and so with that he'll be like I'm gonna unload this ball and you can watch the wheels start to turn and then he doesn't reset his feet if he waits a beat and then he overcompensates with his upper body. So he just has to do a better job keeping his feet on a string. I think he too often doesn't get the ball out at the top of his drop. So he has that kind of split-second pause where he knows where he's going. He likes what he sees post-snap, and then the ball doesn't come out. So he doesn't reset his feet and kind of just ends up overcompensating and trying to pull his hips through. That leads to the nose of the football coming down a little bit and uh, some some overthrows or some underthrows, things of that nature. But um, – he moves in the pocket. He resets himself decently when there's pressure. Uh, he only allowed 9.1% of pressures to turn into a sack, which was the sixth lowest figure 
in the FBS. So when people are talking about him, it's like, oh, he sucks. He's a turnover machine. Oh, you know, blah, 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 blah. But it's like he doesn't really turn the ball over a ton. Um, he throws the ball away a lot. He doesn't take a lot of sacks. And he was a first-year starter as a really athletic quarterback. So those are all positive signs to me. Uh, I think there is definitely work to be done with just his feet and confidence getting the ball out. And again, you know, he's going to make mistakes. I think there weren't a ton of pro-style reads, to use a buzzword of this past week. Um, but there were they, they were sprinkled in there. You see him use his eyes to manipulate stuff. There was a really cool play against Georgia where if you just watch it through, you know, if you're watching the broadcast, you probably don't think much. And he basically opens up to the sideline, holds his feet steady, and there's the number two slot receiver is running a out route, and he basically gets all three Georgia defenders to jump it by standing completely still and staring at it. And then someone just sprints down the play. His number one just sprinted streak behind the defense, and he just kind of quickly reset his feet and fired it right over Georgia's head for a really long touchdown, which got them back in the game. I think that made it 28-20 at that point. So um, seeing some of that stuff, you know, red zone – Red zone's there a little bit. I think red red area, he hasn't quite impressed me yet. I still have more to watch, but I like him a lot. I think that he's worth a first-round pick. I think that he has an outstanding mental fortitude of not too often. There were some of the the doy-doy moments, as Julian Edelman always puts it, Um, some of the doy-doy moments, you know, throwing a couple picks here and there, but everybody has those to a degree. So I'm confident in his skill set. I'm confident in what I saw in terms of him leading his offense. I'm confident in terms of, uh, his arm talent in terms of being able to drive the ball to the outside, work the middle of the field a little bit. So just needs more reps. He's a young kid. Um, again, only one year to start. I think he's 21. Will be 20. I think he'll be 21 at the time of the draft and then 22 shortly after. So um, in terms of, you know, a Malik Willis, I think he's a lot further along. He's also a serious brick shit house. Like the kid's fucking huge. He's, he's six, four. He's, he's well, gotta be well over two thirty. Um, as an athlete, he, doesn't really show you speed. It's weird. He never really opens up all the way. Kind of almost, you know, not to compare him to Lamar as a mover, but Lamar doesn't really open up all the way for a bit, and then he changes gears on you. So I think he runs under control a good bit, especially when he's scrambling, and then he does have like a – I'd say he has a fourth gear, not a fifth gear. So um, I like him a lot. I I think he's intriguing. I think it's going to be hard not to like that skill set, and I think a lot of the people that are – big into, you know, actually watching tape or putting him over Will Levis. I saw the the kid Theo Ash NFL on Twitter put him as number one quarterback. So I think a lot of people that I follow, at least, that kind of break the tape down seem like they like him over Will Levis. Um, I haven't really – C.J. Stroud someone I need to watch a lot. Bryce Young probably is going to be my quarterback one. I've watched a ton of Bryce Young already. But I like Richardson. I think he should be a top 15 pick. I could see a top 10 pick. And if you feel like – you know, a team like the Lions really intrigues me for him or a team like the Seahawks at 20 where it feels like they've got a lot in place already. You have a, a veteran in place for him, and then he can just grow, get his footwork down, work on getting the ball at the top of his drop, You know, get comfortable with the cadence, get comfortable going through some reads a little bit, full field, and go from there. So like him a lot and uh, got a little bit left to watch, but I should have an article coming out, and I'm going to have a nice YouTube video there to, to emphasize his strengths and weaknesses. Where would his stock be if he were at North Dakota State right now? Oh my God. Tremendous. He would have scored 50 touchdowns. And again, he would have scored so many touchdowns. So, uh, yeah, I think what if he had Trey, been at North Trey Dakota Lance, state, I would say Trey Lance is a good comp for him. Really? What if he had been at North Dakota state and been hurt like the last two years? Like, I, I feel like that would be number one overall pick potential. Cause I feel like that's, 
There's 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 an archetype there. It, there definitely is. There most certainly is. I like I like a Trey Lance comp for him actually, uh, very much so. But he uh, was making SEC defenders look look silly a little bit. So the also the other thing, and and you know you always have to examine what the offense was. I think I'm three and a half games in. I have no joke seen one broken tackle after the catch. Florida's skill players are very stock, very NPC like. They are not anything to write home about. So um, you look at his stats, look at all this stuff. Like I have. I have not seen anyone make a spectacular catch. I have not seen anyone help him out. He is really the driving force. Uh, the younger ETN is there as well as his running back. He's fast, but like I haven't seen him get flipped the ball a couple of times. A runner, he's fine. You know, does some explosive things like his brother, but um, nothing to write home about as opposed to you know throwing to a, a Jackson Smith and Jigba, Chris Olave, and Garrett Wilson trio. So. I think, you know, again, to, to point to North Dakota State, let's also look at Ohio State and what that would have been like. So um, kid kid wasn't getting bailed out by his offense very much. Gotcha. Well, that's our opening 10 minutes on uh, Anthony Richardson. Uh, a little bit of a preview, I think, for things to come in the, the next this is, And this is my thought. This is where the article is going to get to. I don't get – so Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks mock him to the Ravens, but, like, why get rid of Greg Roman to draft Anthony Richardson? I would think the exact opposite. I would think you keep Greg Roman, trade Lamar, draft Anthony Richardson. So don't think he's going to be a Raven. But again, Lions, Seahawks, fits I like for him very much. So Interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, there is buzz there. Like you mentioned, Bucky and DJ. DJ, at the very least, is still plugged in with his organization a little bit. So, I mean, I, I'm not taking a ton of stock in mock drafts right now, but it is something to, uh, to you know, hashtag watch this space as far as all that goes. I feel like there's been a lot of... Uh, a lot of victory laps going on right now after that uh, press conference, which, you know, we both like. We talked about it. Um, thought they did not, did a nice job, but I think you got to take a lot of that stuff at face value. And, uh, I, you know, the further we go without a contract being signed, we're, we're still not going to be out of the woods. So until that happens, this is stuff we are going to have to pay attention to uh, for better and worse. Uh, but, yeah, that's our opening 10 minutes on uh, Anthony Richardson. So there you go. Uh, I guess, you know, we're here to talk uh, a little football. So uh, some football was played over the weekend and, uh, it wasn't very good in my opinion. Uh, maybe not the best football as uh DJT would put it. Um, you had the Jaguars going in and putting a, a valiant fight up against the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes getting that, picking up that injury, the high ankle sprain, which we all know is a tough injury to pick up at this time of year. After that, you had the Giants Eagles 38 to seven in Philly, Nick Sirianni. <laughs> feeling himself a little bit, which I thought was nice to see. Bengals, uh, I think much to a lot of people's chagrin, 27 to 10 over the Bills. A little bit of a surprising result. I'm not that shocked to see them move on, but uh, the Bills really just didn't put up any fight whatsoever. And then uh, it wouldn't be January without the Cowboys short-circuiting against the 49ers. And uh, yeah, 19 to 12 there. So, uh, you know, not not my favorite divisional round weekend uh, in the last couple of years. No, it was, uh, again, pretty stock. Chiefs game cost me a lot of money, a lot of money. Patrick Mahomes, I had, I think, five parlays that didn't hit. The only leg they didn't hit was Mahomes passing yard over, and that one burned me. Uh, Joe Burrow also burned me. Josh Allen also burned me. So a rough weekend for for the kid in that sense, but um, it was a, a strange week of, of football for sure. I think the Cowboys are just – I don't, I don't know what they can do, and this is a Cowboys affirmative podcast in many ways, but that's, that's why we like the Cowboys is because they do what they did. Miss an extra – I mean, 
to just kick field goals against the 49ers, knowing that they're going to run the ball, knowing that you can't stop them. Um, just some weird decisions all around made in these games, uh, fourth, fourth down decisions, all kinds of stuff. So, uh, people talk about that end of game kind of fourth down or whatever it was trick play Ezekiel Elliott under center, but just Dalton Schultz shit show before that was the epitome of the Cowboys. That's, that's tough for you. It, it is. It's tough for the, for the Schultz kin. It's tough for the shield. It's tough for the brand and to watch him who, was such a solid player last year and has had his moments this season, but just have lacked such situational awareness, goes up and bumps pads instead of really trying to make a play to get out of bounds, and then just no body control, no awareness to drag his feet. And uh, not that they were going to score anyway, but just was a classic floundering. Plus the 49ers like crushing Dak in the end zone and not wrapping him up uh, was also hilarious. So in that game, you know, Tony Pollard, who for all intents and purposes – arguably the most valuable offensive like him and cd lamb skill position wise those are the two guys that make that offense go and watching tony pollard go down made me sick it ended up being a fibula injury and that's a really long recovery to a lot of lost muscle a lot of loss and feels like because of his past game prowess because of the type of player he was because of how efficient he was uh how quiet of a person he was never made any noise really on or off the field in a negative way was probably in line to have a really nice payday. So heart goes out to Tony Pollard could see him maybe staying there on a one year prove it deal or something like that. But uh, someone that, you know, I wouldn't have terribly minded if the Ravens, you know, were able to go get a little three year deal with and, and have some sort of consistency at running back, you know, knowing guys get hurt and things like that. Um, you know, maybe parting ways with Gus Edwards, something like that. And instead he's not going to get paid. So that one definitely made me sick. Um, I don't know what, in the absolute hell the Giants were doing against the Eagles. They just waved the white flag so early in that game and gave the ball back to the best rushing team in football uh, in the fourth quarter there, day ball, punting them the ball, and then the Eagles just immediately eat seven and a half minutes off the clock. So that was a shit show, but again, Giants weren't going to beat them anyway. And Bengals-Bills, I mean, Bills got absolutely had their shit pushed in in every facet and some of the stuff that we were seeing from the the Bengals, the Bengals are smart. They're a smart team. I feel like matchup wise, you don't win many games in the playoffs, especially five over a two year stretch without being able to rock and roll against your opponent a little bit. Some of the things they were doing, like sending a receiver in motion, bringing Taron Johnson into the box, their nickel corner, and then running power with a pulling guard right at Taron Johnson was just masterclass. So they did a great job with their, you know, Jackson Carmen comes in and turns into a snowplow. They ran all over them. The Bills front, you know, the Bills just I think we tweeted it and I think me, you and Cole talked about it. Like they just have no sand in the pants on either side of the football. They have all these slight finesse style players. They don't really have that star Lutulele that they used to have or, or any kind of one gapping nose that can eat up the A gap and the B gap a little bit. So they've got some soul searching to do. Uh, Von Miller, you know, they pay what? I think it ended up being like a three-year, $60 million deal. I think it was a five-year, 120, but it was practically a three-year, $60 million deal, something like that. Tears his ACL. He was supposed to be their X factor to go beat a team like the Bengals or go beat a team like the Chiefs, and so they don't have him. Trey White, obviously coming back from injury, has a rough time, rough year, and they just don't have anyone outside of Stephon Diggs that can provide any sort of consistent threat. They don't have backs that are explosive or provide a threat, so they're at a weird point. I mean – 
I don't know what what you got to do, but like Tony Pollard's a guy I would have liked to bring in. You know, Saquon maybe they could bring in something like that. But it's uh, you know their offensive line doesn't feel like they have shit kickers. They don't have it on the defensive side of the ball, even though they've invested so many picks into Rousseau and um, Basham and AJ Epinesa and Ed Oliver and again signing Miller. So Bills are definitely feeling like shit right now. Yeah, it's interesting. It's one of those things too where like. I think Ravens fans, and I think every fan base probably does this, but I think they get a little crazy with contextualizing every little thing about these playoff teams against the Ravens and like what they did wrong and stuff like that. And it's interesting because the Bills were one of those teams, I think, prior to the season that were looked at as like, oh, well, this is the team. They did everything right. They did it right. They did what the Ravens weren't able to do. And I mean, here they are. And yeah, they got a conference championship appearance. So credit to them for that. But I mean, they really haven't got. Hang the banner. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Do the Indianapolis Colts, you know, hang the hang it in the rafters um, lost in the AFC championship. Game. Yeah. So it's like I, I totally get like why people would want to model certain things after the Bills. But after a year like this, that's kind of a tough sell for me. And I think it's interesting because I do think the Eagles and the Niners, those are kind of your platonic ideal for what the Ravens want to be. And like having it, having it, you know, hashtag modernized. That's a little bit of an overused word too, but like a little bit more uh, with the times uh, with some of their investments. So watching those two teams, I thought it actually kind of gave me a little bit of hope because I think we walked out of that playoff game and even the press conference thinking like this, the Ravens are headed in the right direction. If they can, you know, things go right here over the next couple months, like, you know, they're, they're in a decent spot. And I think the Eagles are, a lot of people have pointed this out. Uh, a lot of, you know, people that I, they, you know, I respect the opinions of that if the Ravens kind of, manage to uh continue to build in a direction like that that would be a good thing and then obviously we love uh shanny and the boys over there in san francisco so and it like i said it feels kind of like what they're trying to do only they've done it a little bit better so maybe kind of try and model yourself after that it's a lot easier said than done especially with a quarterback not under contract for 2023 right now but um i don't know it, it was encouraging to be in that regard i think this weekend sure um you know, it just, again, the, the overarching message for me is that we just haven't seen, I think that we, Peter King talked about it as well, perhaps it was, it was one of those type of guys, one of the national guys that has a good, good feel for the Ravens and probably some, some friends in the organization. Whatever. Sure, it wasn't but, Peter Schrager. <laughs> no, I think, I think it was Peter King. It could have been Fowler. I don't know. Fowler has been the one who's been given out all the offensive coordinator dishes for whatever reason. He had a uh, Ravens as one of the team's. Uh, probably going to be looking at Hopkins too, like just now today. So definitely they, they tried to get, we we've talked about it a thousand times. They've already tried to get him. The Ravens are stubborn and persistent. They'll definitely sniff around Hopkins. And we talked about that scenario last episode about trading out of your first, getting the Cardinals, you know, second or something of that sort, a trade back to get Hopkins, whatever. But um, the Ravens just, I think the piece from King was that they feel like they haven't been able to evaluate themselves, especially against their divisional opponents, because whenever they play their divisional opponents, they're missing their quarterback. I think Jackson played what three divisional games this year. I think he missed three last year as well. If I'm not mistaken, because it's the end of the year when they try and make you, you know, kind of go through your divisional gauntlet. Yeah, He started against the Browns in 2021. That's a game he got hurt in. And then Huntley came in. Right. And he definitely missed the Steelers game. He definitely missed a Bengals game as well. So same thing. You have only gotten one look at each opponent with your starting quarterback, and the Ravens feel like they're a little bit left in the weeds or left in the clouds wondering you know, how to evaluate themselves because they haven't been able to ever execute their blueprint against their divisional opponents. And with what they did defensively against 
who is obviously the class of the AFC North now, the Bengals, they probably feel really good on that side of the ball, but don't know if they're headed in the right direction offensively. The first time they match up, you know, they had an okay day. I think they had, what, four scoring drives that game, a touchdown and three field goals, so a mixed bag. You know, you feel like you move the ball, but at the same time you couldn't punch it in. Bengals are very staunch and sticky in the red zone, so uh, I think they're having a little bit of trouble from the sound of it understanding where they lie matching up against their divisional opponents, plus the wild card to Sean Watson, who clearly you know, wasn't going to play at a superstar level with all that happened this year and him coming in late and him not playing in a while. So you know, I think a lot of – I would be sh- shocked if the paper Tiger Browns don't emerge again this season. They have cap space. They don't have a ton of picks, but I'm sure they'll do some sort of weird stuff to continue to push their cards in a little bit. So – Ravens are in a weird place within their division where, you know, they stifled the Pittsburgh Steelers once, couldn't get it done with their backup quarterback, you know, held the Bengals under ta- under control in the two games they played that mattered defensively. And then the Browns um, played weird games against them a little bit. You know, mixed, mixed bag of results all the way around. So I think a fun thing for us to do will be to look at what moves the Ravens can make to really feel like they emerge in this division. And, Bengals are tough right now. Luana Rumo is doing a good job. That defense is playing a balanced brain of football. So where do you attack their defense? I mean, their number one corner is out, and they still are holding water against most receivers for the most part and, and able to hold up in the pass game. So interesting, interesting stuff all the way around. The AFC North is in a really weird spot, and the Bengals obviously are playing in their second straight AFC championship game. And I'm going to say it, it's been a fucking cakewalk for them. They got – Ryan Tannehill and Derek Carr before they played Patrick Mahomes, who they did go beat and did come from behind. Very respectable win. Doesn't get tougher than that in Arrowhead. All those things. So one legitimate win last year. Then this year they get Tyler Huntley fumbling on the one-yard line. And then whatever the hell happened to the Bills. And then you're going to get high ankle sprain Patrick Mahomes. So, you know, really kind of one good game against a top-level quarterback in the conference. And this is supposed to be the conference of – Mahomes and Burrow and Allen and Herbert and Jackson Jackson and Lawrence and, you know, all these young guys, whatever. And they haven't really had to walk that tightrope too much. So I'm not going to call him Mickey Mouse because you still have to go win the games. And we, I think we overrate individual players to a degree, but uh, I think their coaching staff has done a good job, but kind of a little bit of a cakewalk for the Bengals in many ways, the bills game. Hey, they, they curb stomp the bills. They, Fucked them up in all phases of that game. So kudos in that to that one. But I don't know. I uh, think they got a little – think they've had a little Mickey Mouse run of, of some degree being able to. So Bengals fans, if anyone's listening, you can clip that one and be in my mentions and whatever. I do like Skyline Chili. I did just eat a Coney dog the other week. I like Cincinnati. It's a nice town. You still had a little bit of a Mickey Mouse walk. Don't worry, Eli Apple's uh, on the other side. He's he's pulling that counterweight pretty hard right now. He's defending he, the wall. He most certainly is. Yeah, he's he's a real uh, Ramsey Bolton defending the wall. I I gotta say, I'm I'm kind of enjoying it. I like a good villain, and I think standing on your sh- on other people's shoulders and making yourself feel tall and just like talking shit like you get an A in the group project and like you didn't do anything and like talking your shit. I kind of, I kind of love that. That's what a great American sportsman is. And that's what Eli Apple is right now. You know, some of the stuff with like, you know, maybe flirting with making too light of the DeMar Hamlin situation. We could probably do without that, 
But uh, I don't know. I, I'm kind of uh, I'm I'm picking up what he's putting down. Let's just say that. Whatever he can say, whatever he wants about whatever. It's I, I as agree. long as they keep if winning. You're play the role, then if you're going to play the role, then play the role. So if you want to, if you want to pull on those heartstrings, then you go after Demar Hamlin and make a little just. He he walked that one back though. He said, you know, God bless Demar Hamlin and everything he went through. He's a football brother. Blah 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 blah. So he did walk that one back, but yeah, and then uh, he followed it up with, uh, yeah, but have good, fun in Cabo. Good for Eli DeMar. Apple. <laughs> I think. <laughs> Yeah, no, he's uh, I mean, like the guy got he literally got posterized by Cooper Cup, like in the Super Bowl to lose the he didn't game. Even get posterized, to be honest, like whatever. Cooper Cup, it was a perfect fucking back shoulder throw. And uh, Cooper Cup went over there. I think he had fine coverage there. It wasn't like he was, you know, falling down or something. It was just not a ton he could have done there. So um, also like, OK, bad, game's on the line here. You're winning at the goal line. They split Cooper Cup out wide and you have. Eli Apple alone on an island playing inside uh, inside leverage like they set him up for failure there. I'll I'll even defend Eli Apple on that one while he's a scumbag. For his, I mean, hey, for his, uh, for all the talking he does, he's you know, I I don't mind Lou Big Lou saying. I, hey, I did just see a very good tweet. I hope Eli yeah, Eli Apple gets stuck in an elevator with Jackson and Brittany Mahomes on Sunday somehow. Yeah, that would be that would be the content that we would need. I talk about people on just some really interesting wavelengths intellectually. Uh, but yeah, that's, I guess that's the divisional round then. Um, and we talked about the Ravens improving a little bit. One with they, uh, hopefully are going to do is in their coaching ranks. They obviously parted ways with Greg Roman. Uh, they're interviewing offensive coordinators, uh, as we speak basically, uh, and some interesting names have come up. So the first one being a pass game coordinator for the Los Angeles Rams, Mr. Zach Robinson, a name that our CFB heads might recognize from uh, about 10 years ago or so at Okie State for uh, Des Bryant. He was his quarterback. Uh, I think he played in the league for a couple of years. I think he was on the Bengals, actually, for a couple of years. Then he, uh, I think he worked at PFF, actually, for a little while. Then he got officially into coaching. I'm sure he was, like, doing some kind of, like, coaching stuff uh, while he was with them. But, yeah, he's been with the Rams since 2019, uh, helping your guy, Sean McVay, and the boys uh, put that pass game together. And uh, I don't know. This is a, a really interesting uh, look at a guy who's 36 years old and this was really the first name that came out. And I think to a lot of people's pleasant surprise, um, I think we heard some, some birdies that, you know, John Harbaugh has, it has been impressed upon him that this hire needs to be, uh, maybe a little bit outside of the typical wheelhouse of what people might expect. And, uh, this kind of, this shows that, and it's, it's an exciting thing. I think we got, uh, all hot in the britches about, uh, our guy Slowick over in San Francisco. He's not drawing really any buzz right now. So maybe this is kind of like the, uh, the, a similar idea to that. Cause like, like you always say, McVeigh is shanty tree effectively. So he is. So, I mean, the, the thing that's difficult is with someone that's never called plays that we can't go say, this is their offense, especially if you're existing in an offense predominant head coach that's a play caller, all of those kinds of things. It's tough to go say, this is what Zach Robinson's offense is going to be. What do most of us do? Go Google the flashy head coach that have good head coaching trees and say, go, go pull one of their guys, Mike McDaniel, Zach Taylor, you know, whatever. Um, the, the big thing here to me is that it's Zach with a C and no H. I think that's definitely Cali swag. Um, so that's that's huge. That's to be fair. But, in I, I gotta I gotta hold myself to account here. I think I've had some takes on Zach Taylor back when the Bengals were uh, not doing so well under his tenure, and I think I pointed to that as maybe not a great sign. So I'm gonna hand up. I fucked up. I'm gonna I'll, I'll walk that one back. I listened to Flying Coach with Zach Taylor 
on Sean McVay's podcast, and my immediate takeaway was that the Bengals were going to suck last year. Just based on that interview, I was like, this guy is not super dialed in. Sounded pretty pretty cash there, but I guess he was just chilling with the boys. So um, that just spits right in our face. But, hey, I mean, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and one Justin Jefferson. And while T. Higgins is no Justin Jefferson, he's closer to being Justin Jefferson, I'd say, than he's not. Maybe it's a little bit of Joe Brady effect where it's like, maybe he's a boy genius or maybe he's just surrounded by absolutely insane talent and a super cerebral quarterback that uh, knows how to get those guys the ball a little bit. I'm sure Zach Taylor does a good job, but I digress. The, the dream there is that Zach Robinson who, Hey, he's the pass game coordinator. What does that mean? I think is something that can get a little bit misconstrued or maybe confused or never realized in all likelihood. Most of the time, to my knowledge, that means that his job is taking the pass plays from McVay's playbook and getting instruction from McVay at a high level and being able to apply those and then delegate them into the quarterback room, into the wide receiver room, into the offensive line room and delegate to each of those coaches. These are the steps that are needed. This is the way this philosophy is going to work. These are how these concepts work. This is what we need from you. And progressing that from, okay, here's straight drop back game. Here's play action game. Here's these different things. How do we actually apply these? How do we actually put these together? So I don't know that it's necessarily coming up with a ton of your own stuff more so than being able to apply what McVay has. And you hope the guy is, is quick enough and sharp enough that he can have some of his own wrinkles, have some of his own creativities and understand the way to apply McVay's offense. What is McVay's offense? 11 personnel dominant, as 11 personnel dominant as it gets. Uh, a lot of zone, mid zone, and being able to run some boot off of it, being able to throw some shots, a lot of pro style concepts, a lot of full field reads. So that's what people are asking for. I think that's what people want. He's 36 years old. Um, and again, like you said, the, the kind of, I guess, the streets is talking and saying that this is a decision from Harbaugh that might be a little bit more of an organizational hire than it will be a John Harbaugh hire. And guess what, Johnny Boy? I mean, how old is Johnny Boy now? 60? 60 on the dot, right? I believe so, yeah. Don't be Bill Belichick. Don't be kicking your same guys around nonstop. Bill Belichick just hired Bill O'Brien again. Don't most, be that. Literally the you most predictable thing. Like oh, Exactly. Oh. It's just going back and forth between Saban. It's fucking crazy. Him and Saban are ridiculous. But um, the, the way they share those guys. I wouldn't be surprised. Sidebar, Joe Brady to Alabama. Watch. That might happen. But... I digress. Um, needs to be someone with a little outside philosophy. Needs to be someone that can bring in some different principles. And what we heard in the press conference is that, hey, guess what? If you are to keep Lamar Jackson, the Ravens know Greg Roman shit. They know the GT counter. They will have at least, I would say, two years of layover between players and coaches and people being familiar to still have those in their pocket and to have that put into Zach Robinson's tool belt a little bit. So uh, Robinson, definitely an intriguing name coming from the Shani McVay tree and being a guy that has had some success uh, in the league and some of that shininess. So, hey, come on down, Zach Robinson. Yeah, I think he's he's kind of the, the top name that I'm looking at right now. It just it would feel like such a departure from – uh, you know, all the Harbaugh, Harbaugh's heroes, all the guy that, uh, guys that he, you know, has brought in over the years. Uh, and it wouldn't even be a Kubiak either. Kubiak had been a, been a proven name, had been a head coach in the league, had a lot of success. It would just be something entirely, totally different. And maybe it would crash and burn, but I just feel like it wouldn't. Like, I just feel like guys are really smart these days. Like, they grew up, you know, 
they grew up with more information than guys grew up with 40 years ago, right? They, they grew up kind of playing Madden. And I think these guys are, these types of guys anyway, are, uh, they just really got their head in the game and spending time around a guy like uh, McVeigh, I think is a really, really intriguing thing. So if nothing else, it's intriguing. That's kind of my top option, you know, in, I think in, it's, I think it's a little alarming, you know, maybe it is what about a little bit, but Liam Cohen, the offensive coordinator for the Rams leaves, goes to Kentucky, and what is now said about Will Levis, that he basically had the most dysfunctional, inept pass game around him, and J.C. O'Sullivan goes and does a breakdown, basically screaming at Liam Cohen. Well, I think, I thought that was, I I thought that was, I thought he left this year. Oh, wait, no, he just was hired. I'm sorry. I got my train mixed up. Ignore. Yeah, because I remember when it got out that McVay was like, maybe going to leave, and his staff was like starting to make their plans. I was like, "Uh, who's their coordinator right now? Let's look that up right now. And that was a couple weeks ago. And I saw like Liam Cohen, offensive coordinator, Kentucky. I was like, he what? just took over and, this year. Yeah. yeah and it was like, it was like, yeah, like literally one day ago, Liam Cohen to Kentucky. I was like, well, fuck, that would have been nice. But uh, yeah, that was when Greg was still on staff. So, and Robinson did replace Zach Taylor as quarterbacks coach of the Rams. Yeah. So, yeah, there you go. I mean, yeah, that, like I said, that is, I'm glad that was the first name that came out. I think it's a good symbolic thing. And uh, that's as of right now, that's my preference. I think we can maybe lump a couple of these in here together. So AFC North foe, this is a name that I think people should probably know a little bit. That's Chad O'Shea, uh, passing game coordinator for the Browns right now with Stefanski. He's been around. He was with the Patriots for uh, much of their dynasty in the 2010s. I think he was, I think he played uh, and then he was with the Dolphins for a little bit, uh, but he's been with the Browns since. So he's about 50 years old. He's like Robinson's mid 30s. So he's a little bit of that, a little bit older. Uh, you've got Dave Canales, the QB coach for the Seahawks, and then pass game coordinator for the Vikings, Brian Angelicchio. Yeah, to me, what do all of those have in common? The offense. They are boot under center elements with a little bit more 11 personnel and some of those things. So that, again, is the hope that you have dra- all of those guys, Stefanski, O'Connell, Stefanski coming from the Vikings even and then going to the Browns, uh, even the Seahawks to a degree, love to run the under center boot stuff. So being able to then get to the point that I've made for three years, the hope is that you will have heavy personnel capabilities and able to retain some of the man gap stuff and some of the quarterback veer bash stuff and implement a more consistent, more confident and frequent 11 personnel under center boot zone game. When you have those two things, suddenly you have every offense. Suddenly, if a defense does a really good job at, let's say the Pittsburgh Steelers, I think have done a really good job at scrape exchange over the last couple of years against the Ravens and in some of those run concepts, well, then you can hit the Pittsburgh Steelers with a little bit more of the wide zone boot under center stuff and a little bit more of the straight drop back game and expose their corners, for instance, if that remains a weakness. Or if you're playing the Browns, who really do a great job against the offense, they give the uh, Bengals a ton of trouble consistently for whatever reason defensively and do a good job on that. Then, hey, what do the Ravens do? The Ravens typically destroy the Browns on the ground. So being able to be permeable and get into – what we described as the flubber offense previously on this show, that is the goal, that you have a complete offense. And while the Packers did kind of suck this year, I still will look to Matt LaFleur's offense, who, while they don't have a ton of quarterback run stuff, you can add that into it, but they're able to do all of those things really well. I think they're in a great uh, great position, great shape. Um, we've got a lot of comments in here about Philly, and I absolutely get it. The more I look at Philly, 
how can you fuck up Philly's offense? Like, that's kind of my question a little bit. I think they don't get in their own way, but what do the Eagles not have right now? They have two Hall of Fame linemen. They have two Pro Bowl linemen outside of those Hall of Fame linemen. They have a Pro Bowl caliber tight end. They have a Pro Bowl caliber running back. They have two – they have an All-Pro and a Pro Bowl caliber receiver, and I think Jalen Hurts is a very efficient and ball control and cautious quarterback in a good way that does a lot of good things. So – uh, the Eagles, I get it. Yes, they do what the Ravens did in a different way with more spread, more 11, but still keeping those elements of the quarterback run game and the power game and ball control and all of those things. So, again, I think that the Ravens would definitely still interview O'Brien Johnson. But the Eagles, I just, I just don't know. Like, if you fucked up the Eagles offense, you're an idiot as, a, as an NFL head co- or an NFL offensive coordinator or NFL head coach like they are as talented as it gets in every phase of their offense it also could be it's like that's just Sirianni's offense like right which is you know he comes from Frank Reich Frank Reich comes from Doug Peterson and we've got some Frank Reich stuff here the Ravens Fowler has dropped that Frank Reich is someone and again if you're if you want the pro style stuff there you go that's the pro style stuff that's the goal is is the Andrew Luck stuff is the Philip Rivers stuff but I don't know. I I I feel weird about Frank Reich a little bit, but that would be the Kubiak hire, pretty much. Yeah, that's literally what I was just gonna say. Like, that's the you know what you're getting. It might not be spectacular, but it feels like there's a good floor there. Um, and also, like, there will be competence. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know if there would be a Kubiak situation where he'd get hired again right away. To the point because like maybe he wouldn't even want to like be a head coach again right away. Like maybe he'd want to and like Kubiak probably I don't think to his credit, I don't think he did either, but it just he had a dream opportunity come up for him uh, and he kinda had to say yes. So I, I I got that as well. But yeah. Um so those are those guys. Frank Reich you mentioned. Um and he's kind of in this bucket with I think Eric Bienemy and Byron Leftwich, as it says here on our tracker. Those were the other guys that Fowler mentioned in that report that the Ravens were kind of monitoring. So the enemy, it's interesting. He's just, it feels like he's not going to get a head coaching job at this point. So maybe he will want to come can get a head coaching job is for him to leave Andy Reid. It appears. Yeah, exactly. And like, he's, he's always going to be tied to the hip of Reed and Mahomes uh, as far as getting credit, he's not going to really get it. Uh, so yeah, if he, if he does want to, he's probably going to have to go elsewhere, make that lateral move, but maybe even not a lateral one because he'd probably get play calling duties. Which I, I don't think he's always, always had in KC, Byron Leftwich obviously fired down in Tampa Bay. Um, it feels like they're just going for a full reset there. I don't even know if that's like the scapegoat thing that some people are saying it is because Tom Brady's probably going to leave. Uh, and yeah, so he's on the market. It's those three other guys are kind of the, the three sort of hot names uh, or the big names that are on the market that the Ravens are also reportedly going to be looking at per Jeremy Fowler. Yeah, Frank Reich's offense is a ton of triangle reads and a ton of mesh and trying to make sure that the quarterback kind of has a three-way go over the middle of the field a lot, uh, using the running back to run a lot of rail routes, run a lot out of the perimeter to the back, from the backfield, all that kind of stuff. I hate Byron Leftwich's offense. That is the one that I want absolutely no part of. He is intentionally stubborn about play action. He is intentionally stubborn about running the ball on a first down. I don't think that he is modern enough to be able to bring this offense where people want it to go. And um, I don't know. I, I just, just didn't really speak to me a ton. And having Brady and Brady basically begging to – 
have more play action installed and be able to run more play action on first down. Like it should never have gotten to that point. So um, I'm out on Leftwich. Biennemi, absolutely. I mean, at this point, he feels like another, it, it, he almost feels like he's ascending and you love that as opposed to a Frank Reich who's looking for that redemption factor. But again, what is Biennemi going to do without Andy Reid? Not sure. Same thing as Zach Robinson. Not sure. Don't know. Don't know what changes are made. Don't know how it imp impacts things. But you would think that he's able to retain a lot of the creativity in the screen game. He's able to hopefully scheme guys up in a sense of, of forcing conflict. I think the best thing Andy Reid does for his quarterbacks and hopefully Eric Bieniemy because of it is put a single defender in a shitload of conflict with two guys running across field. Again, more mesh, but in a more vertical way, more kind of uh, crossers and things of that nature that are going to put one key defender in conflict. So the enemy, I would like a lot. Um, Zach Robinson, super intriguing. And Frank Reich, I mean, feels like, and Frank Reich went to University of Maryland. So there's that whole thing. And um, if you're right, and, and I could see, you know, Frank Reich coming, the, it, it, he probably felt very weird. And I don't want to say he felt embarrassed, but maybe, I mean, they replaced him with Jeff Saturday and kind of firing off all his guys and just, just, the way the Ursays handled all that, or the Ursays, I should say, the Ursay handled that, uh, probably left a very salty taste in his mouth. So what we always hear about the Ravens is that they're all about ball um, and being able to go back to an environment that's just a little bit more maybe football-focused as opposed to some of the other shit going on um, and, and a team that's a little more stable. Kind of reminds me of the antithesis, uh, or I guess not the antithesis, but of Flores going to Tomlin. You know, this whole shit show going on in Miami with Steven Ross, and it's this high-profile thing, and he's able to just go be with the Steelers, a stable organization with a stable head coach that Tomlin and Harbaugh, hard not to draw parallels to them. So kind of the defensive and offensive versions of that. And, hey, I mean, stick it to the Colts coming to Baltimore. So if Reich doesn't get that head coaching opportunity, um, I think it's a good fit for him. So... I was a little, I'm a little against it. I, I do kind of think in ways that a lot of Doug Peterson's success has given Reich a lot of opportunities and that Reich, you know, did get dealt a shitty hand with the Andrew Luck situation, did get Phillip Rivers, take them to the playoffs and everything that goes on too, but, uh, or goes on with that. But I don't know. I uh, think it would just be a calm, quiet thing and a nice change of pace from Greg Roman's offense. And if you're able to, utilize a lot of that mesh and triangle read stuff it's gonna put another tool if you keep lamar jackson and again it just really feels like they are at this point puts another tool in his tool belt and expands his mind and expands the way he can play the game so um sure so th those are the three guys i'm looking at yeah definitely i'd uh, i'd be happy with just about uh, any of those, probably more so right can be enemy than uh, left, which I just don't know as much about left, which I just kind of looked into or I just looked at, you know, Brady and all the talent that they had there. And, you know, maybe maybe Byron deserves a little bit more credit. Uh, but I don't know. I think we'll get a good chance to uh, land on his feet somewhere anyway. Um, and yeah, that's uh, really those are the three. Byron Leftwich was supposed to be the Ravens quarterback. 
He was, yeah. They uh, they wanted to trade up for him, and uh, <laughs> they had a deal in place with the Vikings. And uh, it some for some reason, Ozzy did not consummate the deal, and the Vikings missed their pick for like two picks in a row. So the the Jaguars just fucking snatched him up, and the Ravens got Kyle Bowler, and that was that. Uh, so yeah, there there's maybe some ties there. Maybe Ozzy's going to put his thumb on the scale and actually get Byron this time around. Uh, and then last one that we had here, a little bit of a controversial one. Justin Outen, Outen, Outen from uh, Justin Denver. Out. Dude, Justin Outen can't call plays, dude. This get this, is get this fucker out of here. This fucking guy, Justin Outen. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, this guy is just waiting. To, this, this guy is a dead man walking if he gets hired here. Like, the people are already hating that he was like a run game specialist or whatever, helping with the installs in Denver. He didn't actually call plays until Hackett got fired. Uh, people are not happy about this. And he's like literally the only guy that was like not a oh passing. Oh my guys from Doylestown, Pennsylvania too. Yeah, he's literally the only guy that's like not a passing game like specialist. And they they haven't even interviewed him yet. He's just on the, uh, the short list. They, they want to at some point. Uh, but yeah, there's <laughs> the, the people are not happy about Justin Outen uh, being on here. I know nothing about him. I'm looking at his resume. He was a graduate assistant at Syracuse goes to Westfield high school in Texas for seven years was the assistant head coach slash OC slash OL coach. Uh, he's an intern with the Falcons then an offensive assistant with the Falcons under Kyle Shanahan. Then he goes to green Bay and ends up being the tight ends coach there for a couple years with Matt LaFleur and then follows Nate Hackett to go be the offensive coordinator. So uh, ends up, ends up being the offensive coordinator. I think, third swing maybe he was on his wikipedia it just says I, I don't know i didn't follow that situation that closely he it looks like uh was hired yeah as february 2nd as the offensive coordinator so he was nate hackett's oc so again installing stuff hackett more so the play caller there and all that good stuff but um yeah that's what 11 names at this point cast in a wide net 10 Two of in house as well guys. with uh t martin and james urban probably gonna get an interview Right, get their their opportunity, and feel like those are maybe more so. Do you want to stick around? What's your idea? What's your assessment of what we could have done better here? What should we keep? Are you willing to be a part of it? That kind of stuff um, would be surprised by an internal hire. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't see that happening. Um, so yeah, that's that's the list. It's a robust list. It's good to see. I think you made the point that before they settled on Kubiak, Harbaugh had hired, like, interviewed like 30 people or something like that. So it wasn't even on the initial kind of call list there, ended up being one of the latter guys. So the net is wide. It feels like very similar to that 2013 situation where you're disappointed as hell. Your team is at a little bit of an impasse. And I don't know, uh, 2013, they had just paid Joe Flacco a boatload of money. You might be paying Lamar Jackson a boatload of money. How do you graduate from, let's say, I, I don't want to make this comparison too much, but how do you graduate from your rookie contract offense into your second contract offense? You're going to have to do things differently. Uh, the biggest mistake the Ravens made back then was not keeping Joe's guys. The Ravens already have Mark Andrews locked up, and Lamar doesn't really have any other guys. So you get an opportunity to build what should that be uh, if you keep Lamar Jackson. So that's still a major part of it. But again, to me, despite all of the kind of negative or toxic things that we've heard, it's just if they've set that money aside for him already and already offered him that much money 
and got away from Greg Roman so quickly and are getting into this so quickly and so deep. I don't know how you can really have that much direction at this point if you don't plan on keeping Lamar Jackson. So um, the dream, the goal, whatever guy they hire out of those guys. And again, we have, to me, I like Reich. I like Biennemi. I like Zach Robinson. Uh, I would be lying if I said I was super familiar with a couple of the offenses that a couple of those other guys or maybe even Zach Robinson would get into. But you need to have more answers. You need to be able to get into a more balanced 11 when you need to, and you need to have the, the personnel to execute. So some work for this front office to do. And to me, it sounds like everything they're bringing in is the Shanahan, McVay, uh, Stefanski kind of offense. So that would imagine that they're going to make some splash at wide receiver and that they're going to bring in someone that would utilize more wide receivers. It's really impossible not to. No one uses wide receivers less than Greg Roman. So, yeah, I mean that's those are the two just kind of glaring glaring issues with this team right now is a lack of a coordinator and lack of wide receivers. Those are really the two big things. Figure those two things out and uh I think you're you set up pretty well. And obviously sign yourself your quarterback. Just just sign him, just do it. We don't have any inside information. I'm seeing some comments here. We don't have any we're just as in the dark as you are as Schefter is, as Rappaport is. Quite and- a quite a few comments on here tonight. Yeah, no, people are uh, people are getting people are getting wild in there. I'm kind of liking it. Um, <laughs> Again, question: In your opinion, what makes a co- an offense pro style or college? Pro style is going to be full field routes. It's going to be a quarterback going from an entire field progression, as opposed to like mirrored concepts or um, never really running a wide variation of them. Again, the the example I always use of a college offense is Phil Longo. And if you go back and watch what DK Metcalf and AJ Brown were in, they ran like three or four routes. They didn't switch sides of the fields much. DK Metcalf is your left wide receiver. AJ Brown is your you know slot, and you've got Demarcus Lodge at your right wide receiver. Um, so that's that's the example to me. A simplified and also a check with me offense where kind of go hood hood and then look to the sideline and get your adjustments from the sideline. So what else we got in here? Y'all think about some some stuff about how do you guys think that. Lamar and Eric DaCosta have a perfect relationship. Yeah, I think I it's a hundred percent perfect. There's no issues. I don't, and I don't even. Their relationship is probably just like very professional. It's probably very like you know DaCosta acting like he's in a fucking office, like you know. I mean, he really is. We, we know that he went. We know that he went and visited Lamar and spent a week in Boynton with Lamar, or excuse me, Pompano last year. We know that in March of 2022. Which Maybe how was that not like a an offshoot of like comedians and cars getting coffee like those two like rolling around in Pompano Beach like I, I'm just I'm really sad that we missed out on that content Costa with his little like wafers that he wears wearing like a, a polo with a window pane suit jacket only like, cricket oh, shirts uh, those cricket boiled po- peanuts we gonna try them or what Lamar yeah cricket polos he's got his Folkleys on his his you know just. <laughs> completely just straight fit chinos like absolutely no pleats in them and you know his 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 on on clouds probably another one here cincinnati was zero and two and you're calling them lucky lol incredibly weak take on to better ravens casts see ya yeah sorry sorry we couldn't earn your business if you can play if you can if you can avoid playing mahomes and allen in the same postseason and you can avoid lamar jackson 
you're a little bit fucking lucky. This is supposed to be, if you want to win the AFC, you're going to have to beat the Bills and the Chiefs and the Ravens and the Chargers, and they played those two teams once over their last five playoff games. So um, I'm sure there's much better Ravens podcasts. I'm sure you can have fun with that one. Sure. Hey, listen. Kevin Petullo from Philly, another one. Yeah, he's another guy that's in the uh, the old Nick Sirianni cast there. I think he's the pass game coordinator, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, he's a uh, – let's see. He is the pass game coordinator for the Eagles. Yeah, he's a, another option. So I think Brian Johnson or Petullo or both at some point here get the, the interview and going to see some of that. Uh, Elliot here, another good comment. Watch Tennessee U games if you want to see a college-style crash course. Exactly. They spread the field wide. They use the same personnel. It's not full field reads, all that kind of stuff. So a uh, good comment there as well. So Philly Chip Kelly also comes to mind, Josh Richter. He's out in UCLA doing his thing. I think Chip Kelly's happy where he's at. Yeah, I think uh, I think he would like usurp everyone in the organization and become the GM and start like trading for like all those guys, and that would just be – People, people don't talk enough about how Howie just got absolutely just banned to the shadow realm. Like he was like Andy Dufresne. And, uh, and I think this is a Dan Hansis bit from a long time ago, but he was like Andy Dufresne and uh, Shawshank. He had to crawl through a river of shit and get a, come out the other side, uh, which was the, the Chip Kelly tenure. And he, he made it happen. Good for Howie. He definitely did uh, funnel his way through a, a pile of shit. The best, thing, the best thing Howie Roseman ever did was sign Carson Wentz to a gigantic extension and then again, parlay those picks into they, they still have multiple first round picks this year because of the Carson Wentz deal. That is just the gift that keeps on giving. The best thing they did was sign Carson Wentz. And it has truly transcended them. They've gotten so much talent as a result of it. They've had the flexibility to have draft classes, get guys like Jordan Davis, Devontae Smith, all these kinds of guys. Also, hey, you can go trade for a Chauncey Gardner Johnson and AJ Brown. Oh, yeah, sure. We'll trade one of our two first round picks back and go uh, go have two more, and uh, we'll also pick up A.J. Brown in the process. So that is the gift that keeps on giving. His own stupidity ended up saving him in this case. So Howie Roseman, big. I'm a big fan of his, as everyone knows. He's a really good guy that definitely didn't just snake one of his best friends in the NFL and go steal Jordan Davis, who was meant to be a Baltimore Raven, but uh, that's all right. Kyle Hamilton turned out okay. So I was going to say, what's, I, I feel like we've come a long way from that night. I feel like you've come all the way around on Hamilton. No, I always like Hamilton. I, my, what I said, as soon as they drafted, as soon as they jumped up, I was like, I want Jermaine Johnson or I want Kyle Hamilton. Those were my two things. That's, that's on the live stream. I've went back and listened, but fuck you, Howie Roseman, you <laughs> son of a bitch. Yeah, that was, that was, that's an all timer. We gotta, we gotta bring that back. I think I've also, apparently I, I saw a tweet from uh, one of the, one of the venerable folks, one of our good friends who follows us, I think, and, and listens to the show at points and was just saying, is it, the tweet was like, is anyone listening to JLC on 1057 right now? And apparently he was fully screaming that Kyle Hamilton is not a safety. He is not a real safety and is still bitching about that pick. So just shout out to the homie, Jason lock on for Dude. I, I, I catch it when I can. It's, it's, if, if you, if you got to say something about JLC, that guy is fucking committed to his bit. Like he is, he has turned into like, a, he was already a caricature. I mean, he's like a caricature of a caricature. Like the guy who draws the caricatures on like the boardwalk, 
He's a guy that draws Wasn't his Abby on Twitter a caricature of him for a long time, too? I think it was, yeah. It was was like that podcast him and Coleman were doing, which I actually listened to for a little bit. And that's when I started to realize that I hated Jason Lockenfora. Be more opinionated. That's what it was called. Yes. So there we go. Now it's uh, him with Biden and I think a senator that I can't identify. With Biden? 500,000 followers on that JLC. He's uh he's doing a pod with our, our guy Brinson now I think that came up in my feed on on the Pick Six podcast I was like dude who is asking for like who is actively like going to seek out Jason Lockhand for a content like if it's not also on the radio like you don't just turn your radio on something there. that look that's of George Santos the hilarious freaking representative right now that is just an absolute fraud and I thought it was a picture of JLC at first not not terribly dissimilar looking George Santos so. that guy's skincare routine is. Primo, I, I'm gonna need to need it's to get called that. foundation, Jake. You can you can apply some with a little powder if you want. On a, on a I, I might need to. I'm all I'm all dried out this time of year. I'm I'm trying the moisturizers. I'm exfoliating. It's just it's not working. Elliot wants us to make fu Howie Roseman T-shirts. I'm honestly down with that. I honestly am 100 percent down. That's I'll, you. I'll you got it. that. I'm gonna let you spearhead that project. Yeah, I'll I'll put something out. I probably won't ever actually sell it, but I'll put a put an image out for you. You'll for be, you'll make one and have it be for yourself, and you'll wear it to the graph live stream this year. Yes, that is a fantastic idea. Hold me to that. And I'll wear the underdog mask, which I was supposed to wear for this podcast when the Ravens uh when the Ravens won against the Bengals last week. Love it. Um, so my question to you and for myself. Of the candidates that the Ravens have "quote unquote" expressed interest in or have interviewed to this point, do the Ravens hire any of them, or is it someone else? I think it is going to be one of these guys because it's a wide net that they've already cast. Yeah, they're they're big game fishing out there. Well, I guess more so they're they're uh, fishing for tuna. I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with yes as well. I think they do have to strike. I think if you want a Reich or a enemy or probably a Zach Robinson, I think there are some uh, Bill O'Brien. So now there's nine offensive coordinator openings, if I'm not mistaken at this point, as we record and hit one hour on this podcast on Tuesday, January 24th at 10 4 PM. So you've got nine, eight other teams you're still vying against. And if you want one of those guys, you I'm really going to need to get after it. it. Maybe it's an Eagles guy. Maybe it's a Slowick. Um, I would imagine that of those two teams, they at least interview someone or express interest in one of those teams, if not both. So once the championship weekend concludes, uh, one of those two teams will be eliminated. And I think we'll see a little pop-up of a Slowick or a uh, Brian Johnson or a Kevin <clears throat> Patulo. So, with that, I think uh, I think that about does it. Yeah, pretty much. I think we uh, we did get a lot out of this one. I think it was a good uh, good offensive coordinator uh, uh, discussion because this is a uh, this is as interested as I've been in like the building of this offense in a very long time. It just felt like things got very predictable. It got very like all right, like they're just going to do the no wide receiver thing again, and you know that whole thing. So it's it's an ex- an exciting spot that they're in and a good. Uh, I don't know. I think it was a good discussion. Uh, and, you know, we'll, we'll see. Maybe next time we record, they've, they'll you, you have You seem already. pretty spirited. You really uh, needed this season to end, I guess. Dude, I like I wasn't kidding when I was telling you that I was just like fucking like I was so over it. Like I was just so over it. I know you were very excited about the playoff game. You got to go. That was great. But I was just like fucking. 
I was beaten down, man. I yeah, I I feel good. Like in as far as the football team goes right now, I'm feeling good. Well, I'm glad to hear it. Glad you got a little spunk back. Yeah, I got my hat on. Like things are we're we're feeling good. Well, but, that's a good note to end it on. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's end it then. Thank you guys for listening as always. Uh, we'll be back later in the week, uh, maybe to break down some more offensive coordinator names, whatever it might be. Probably get into some offseason preview stuff. I think we're going to have to preview some of the free agents and things of that nature. So we'll get into that. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, and in the meantime, you can follow us on social media. Check us out on Twitter at Podcast Beat Down. You can find me at Jake Luke. That's L O U Q U E. Uh, Spencer is at Ravens Four Dummies. That is the number four in the middle there. Thanks once again, and we will chat. Real soon. See you. Arrivederci. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Get, get, get that. Baltimore! What are they getting? Super Bowl out of me. Need that. Need that.